drive safe. <laughs> it's, it is slick. Well, this is our third week in our series on the church. The first week we looked at our mission, you know, and we, we realized that our mission as the church is a little different from our purpose. Our purpose is divine community. Our purpose as the church is to be in community with God first and one another. So in that vein, if you are, are needing help with your relationship with God, we have uh, devotionals on the back. They're free. They're on the top of the, the Bible box. Grab one of those. They're really, really good. They will help you in your relationship with God because we're made to be in relationship with him. That's, that's why we're made. That's our purpose. And then together as the church, we're made to be in relationship with one another. And then that moves to our mission. Our mission is an offensive battle for souls. So we want to go grab those who are lost, uh, dying in their sin, and we want to bring them into this awesome, free relationship with God. So that's our mission, is to go make disciples of all nations and bring them in. And then last week, we talked about the body, that we as Christians are the temple of God on earth. We are God's presence on earth. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you are a member of the body. We, we took a bunch of cups, if you weren't here, and we stacked them up, you know, kind of a fun pyramid. And we said, each one of us is one of those cups. And if you remove a cup from that pyramid, the ones around it crumble. And just like that, if you are a Christian, you've been given a spiritual gift and you've been placed in the body to use your gift for the benefit of others. And so if you are in this tower and you are removed, there's a few others that, that crumble and fall because you're needed. You're needed. Without you, we are missing out. And also without us, you're missing out. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and you are not involved with a local body of believers, the local body, bodies are missing out on your participation because you have a gift to be used for the benefit of the body. And that now leads us to today. Today, we're talking about church leadership because as we look at this tower, this body of Christ, how does it function? Because once we, we go from this kind of uh, wonderful, beautiful, spiritual, we're the body of Christ to what does that look like here on earth? What, how does the church operate? There is an organizational aspect of it that is important, that is very important. And we want you to understand how we read scripture. I think scripture is clear. I think there's some leeway within scripture on how churches should be led. But it's, some things are, are non-negotiable. Some things are clear. And we at Common Ground desperately desire to line up with the Bible. And so we're going to show you what the Bible says and then how we plan on lining up with Scripture. You know, last week as we talked about the body, it's kind of like a football team. And if you went home and watched the game like I did, it was exciting. The Broncos beat the Patriots if you weren't there. Um, yes. Uh, amen. Did I hear an amen? Oh, barely. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, but the body of Christ is kind of like a football team. You know, look at a team out there. There's a bunch of different positions. You need linemen, and they, they're built a little different than a wide receiver. <laughs> you need a running back, somebody who can run, who can move and juke. You need a quarterback. You need all these different positions working together for the benefit of the whole in order to score a touchdown or, or stop the offense. It's a team, and every team has a quarterback, and every team has all these other positions. Now, did anybody here play schoolyard football as a kid? Okay, most of the guys, okay. Wow, Lou, awesome. oh, some of the ladies, no, that's awesome. Do you remember the huddle, if you had a huddle? I, I remember it vividly. We'd come back in the huddle and it was like this. I'm doing, you know, everybody was talking in the huddle. Well, I was open, get me, I'm, I'm going long. I'm doing, you know, everybody has the idea of what the best next play should be. And most of the time it involves them. 
if you remember that. And so it's kind of a jumbled mess. But then you move into organized football. Maybe you played peewee league or, or high school football, and it got a little better because there were coaches calling in place. Now, even then, though, at least for me, there was times where the receiver would come back in the huddle. Oh, I was wide open. You missed me. You know, and there was some, some bantering in the huddle. But you get a really good team like the Denver Broncos. And, <laughs> and you get a good coach like Gary Kubiak. And, and a coach that can, that can organize, that can send the players out, that knows the strengths and the weaknesses, and, and can design the plays, and they call in the play. And then you have a leader on the field, a quarterback like Peyton Manning, who can read the defense, call an audible if needed. It's a whole different world. Do you think in one of Peyton Manning's huddles, Everybody comes in going, hey, we should run this play. Hey, I'm going to do that. No, no. The good teams have a good leader on the field, and they have a good coach calling the plays, and that leader on the field is submitting to the coach. And so that's kind of the picture as we come into the church. Who are? We, we saw we're all important. We're all needed. But who's the quarterback? Who's the coach? How does that stuff work out? And that's what we're going to look at today here in the church. My goal is that you leave here today understanding how God designed his church to operate, at the leadership level, and how we're going to do it. Now, I'm hoping to go quick enough that at the, at the end we can have some question and answer time. You know, we're a smaller group today, so maybe that'll work real well. So if any questions come to mind, put them down. Um, questions through this whole series on the church's mission, the church's the body, and the church's leadership. You know, we'll, we'll hopefully have some time for Q&A. So this is going to be kind of a, kind of a high-level overview, but I wanted to start. Let me start in prayer. Heavenly Father. I thank you for your church. We know, Jesus, you are the head of your church. We are your body. We saw last week that the body does what the head wants. Everything that the body does, whether it's a hand, a foot, an eye, a nose, it all serves to, to fulfill the wishes, the desires of the head and to keep the head thriving. Jesus, you are our head. Give us wisdom and understanding of your word today so we can see how we should operate as a church. Father, we, we love you, we trust you, we know that you know what you're doing, and we want to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to outline all the church models out there, but I'm going to outline a few that maybe you've seen, and, and some that I would say are probably not the best way, and show what we're going to do. The first one is congregational. Because we live in the United States, Congregational is popular and has been for a long time. The idea of congregational is that you vote on things. So you come together, hey, you know, we're going to, we want this elder. Well, now we're, here's a, three elder options. Now let's all vote. <laughs> or we want to move here, you know, we're going to build a building, all this. But there's voting with congregational. The power lies with the body, with the congregation. Those churches typically have membership. And if you're a member, you get to vote on what goes on. Um, I think there's very good things with some of that, um, but in general, that's not what you see in Scripture. If you, if you read Scripture, one of the things you see is God's desire, Jesus' desire for his church is unity above all else. And when you start getting voting, you start getting sides. When you start getting, you know, hey, we want to do this. Well, we want to do this. Well, now let's rally people to our side. Now you have competition. Do, do you see what I mean? That is not what God wants in his church. We don't want to battle <laughs> You know, I've heard stories of congregational churches and the business meetings that they have. I've heard of them even getting physical. That's the stuff we want to avoid altogether. And I don't think that's biblical. I think the congregation is important. The body is very important and needs to be involved, but not, not in that level. Um, the second model is the maybe traditional Baptist model of, 
head pastor, and he's the only elder. Head pastor, elder, he's kind of the guy in charge. And then sometimes there will be a deacon board or another kind of board that helps the pastor, but the pastor is the guy. That again, what do they say about absolute power? Corrupts absolutely. So I, I would argue that although you do see key leadership in Scripture, that the head pastor, CEO, main guy, one elder model is probably not the best for the church. As much as head pastor people like that, <laughs> like having the control, that's not what we see in Scripture as the best. The third one maybe you've seen is you know, the Holy Spirit is our leader model. Um, you know, you might see this more in, in some of the charismatic denominations or that, where, you know, because Jesus is the head, he communicates to us, and we all just follow the head, and he's the one in charge. Now, there's some very good truths in that, in that you do not need a pastor or a priest or somebody to access God. You, it's the priesthood of all believers, you have direct access to God. You have as much access to God as any other Christian, pastor, missionary, priest, whatever. And so you can hear directly from God through Scripture, through the body, through your prayer time. God will communicate, I believe, directly to you. But the, the trouble is you get into a body, and one person stands up, I'm, I'm hearing this from God, we need to do this. Somebody else, well, I'm hearing this from God. Well, okay, <laughs> which do we do? How do we know? What we see in Scripture is that God has delegated authority to leaders in the church. Although we can all hear from God, and we need to recognize that, that's kind of a jumbled mess. <laughs> Honestly, when it comes organizationally, what we see in Scripture is more of an elder-leader approach. You know, as I think about that Holy Spirit-led, I, I think of that as like the, the football team and the owner. So Pat Bolin for the Broncos. The owner is... is no, Elway, I, I'm glad you bring this up. Elway is actually the uh, vice president of operations. So he's involved in there. Yeah, yeah you know. But, so you have the owner, and it's kind of like the whole team is out there on the field. They all turn and look at the owner's box and wait for instructions. <laughs> That's not the way it works. The owner kind of passes, delegates that authority to the coach. The coach delegates, in Kubiak's case, he delegates authority to the defense to Wade Phillips. You know, and so there's delegated authority that is also dispersed. So that's the idea. Here's in your notes. If you're a note taker, there's, there's plenty to go around today. But this is in your notes. What we see in Scripture is a plurality of leaders, elders, operating with delegated authority to serve those God has given them to shepherd. Let me read to you Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders... And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do we have that? Okay. Uh, notice a couple things about this. I'm saying that the Bible teaches that there are leaders in the church. There are men gifted to lead that God calls to lead. This is where we see that. Hebrews 13, 17, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, but they say, obey your leaders. Obey your, and we're going to talk about that a little more because right now that's a little scary. I need to obey these, you know, how much, what do I obey? How much authority do they have over me? What's that about? So, but we see there is authority in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your soul. So your leaders should be watching over your souls. We're going to get more into this, but look, that's what they do. As those who have to give an account, do you realize your leaders will give an account to God? This is heavy. <laughs> for someone like me, 
I'm an elder and I'm called to, to lead, to shepherd, I'm going to give an account. I'm going to stand before God with what I do here. I just got chills. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's a big deal. We will give an account to God. And so he said, they said this, let them lead with joy and not with groaning. A lot of times in churches, the leaders, it's a tough job. People are coming against them. The point is, hey, recognize your leaders are going to, they're going to stand before God and hopefully they're doing this with wisdom. So submit to them, make their job easy. That's why I'm teaching this. Make my job easy. <laughs> it should be joy. It should be a joy for those leading. And listen to the end here. For, for that, if it was groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. God's design is that the leadership in the church is an advantage to the body, the whole body. It's an advantage to you when it operates properly. When it doesn't operate properly, it's no advantage to you. So again, what is it in Scripture? What we see in Scripture is a plurality of leaders, elders, operating with delegated authority to serve those God has given them to shepherd. Turn to 1 Peter. This is where we're going to camp out this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. It's on page 704 if you're in one of these. Page 704. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1. This is Peter. This is the Apostle Peter. If you've read the Gospels, you know a lot about this guy. He, he is the one that Jesus said on you, I will build my church. And it was actually on Peter's statement about who Jesus is. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. But there was a play on Peter's name means rock, Cephas. So Peter was really the first leader of the church. And Peter writes this. He says, 1 Peter 5, 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So in this chapter, right here, he's addressing the elders. He says, now I'm going to speak to you elders. You guys listen. So the question I really want to answer before we get too far into this is, what is an elder? Who is an elder? And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to recognize a few things. Elders are men appointed to lead. Um, in Acts 14.23, where Paul and, and those with him are going around and planting churches, Acts 14.23 says that they appointed elders in every church. They would plant a church, they would appoint elders, they would move on. If for some reason they couldn't, maybe a maturity level or whatever, they couldn't appoint elders right away, they would come back as soon as they could and appoint elders. You see that with Titus. In Titus, it's called a pastoral epistle. Paul is writing to Titus, a young pastor, who, and he says, go finish what I've started. This is Titus 1.5. He says, for this reason, I leave you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So repeatedly, elders are appointed and elders, plural, more than one, and they're appointed in the churches. This is in your notes. Every early church in Scripture was led by a plurality of elders, a plurality of elders. So you see why the head pastor model, and he's the only elder, you see how that doesn't line up? how there's no accountability for that individual. You, really, God designed a team approach <laughs> that we listen to God together and lead together. So uh, a plurality of leaders. Now, what are the qualifications for an elder? 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And again, I'm not going to break these down, but I just want you to see that this exists and see what it says. So read with me. Um, or I'm just going to read to you. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says this. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, 
oversee an elder, same office, same person. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, literally a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, okay? Doesn't say gifted in teaching, but able to teach. This person needs to know their Bible enough that they can defend it, enough that they can be sharing their faith. So able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. We're not going to break that down, but you see the qualifications of an elder. They're, they're fairly stringent. <laughs> they really are. It's a, it's a big calling to be an elder. You know, one thing there, an elder, although you don't see an elder voted in in Scripture, that's why I'm not in fan of voting for elders, as in here's three options, vote, whichever one gets the highest vote is in. I am in favor, and I do believe that the congregation puts forward those who they think are qualified, the elders look at those and, and approve or whatever, or grab one, and then take those before the body. And then the body has a responsibility. If they know a reason in that list I just read in 1 Timothy, why that person's not qualified, you have a responsibility to bring that forward. You have a responsibility. So that's where some voting could work. We're going to vote on this elder, and if somebody says no, we need to know why. And then you need to go, well, here's the list of qualifications, and they don't match up because of this. I heard that they cheated somebody in their business or whatever it is. So the body has, the congregation is very important when it comes to selecting elders and really watching them as well. To be honest, if an elder strays off and goes off, you're, you should bring that to us. You are responsible even for watching that. So that's what an elder is. What is an elder's responsibility? Um, actually, one other thing I just want to point out, just so we understand here at Common Ground, I believe elders are men. Elders are men. 1 Timothy 2.12. 1 Timothy 2.12 says this. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet in the church. Now, there is some, some cultural context with that. So, women, it's okay for you to speak. <laughs> but there are some things and elsewhere that is not cultural about men are the ones given to lead the church. Elders are supposed to be men. It's not because men are better leaders. It's not because men are smarter. It's because that's the way God designed it to work. Um, so we believe elders very clearly in Scripture. Really, this isn't debatable if you believe the Bible. Men are, are to be elders, or elders are to be men. Um, and what are elders to do? What are elders to do? Look with me at 1 Peter 5, 2. He's speaking to elders. He says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the first thing, shepherd. This is in your notes. Number one, an elder is to shepherd God's people. The primary meaning of that word shepherd is to feed. But that's not the only meaning of the word shepherd. Picture a shepherd as we would know from the first century. It's different from a, you know, a herdsman now, but a shepherd would lead the flock. It's a fun um, study if you, you read Psalm 23. Um, and if you, the, what is the book? Um, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Great book. Go look it up. Write that down. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. But what did a shepherd do? 
They took responsibility for their flock, cared for them, went ahead of them, took them to green pasture, fed them well, made sure they were safe, quiet waters, protected them. They had a rod and a staff. The staff was curved so that if a sheep was in danger getting too close to running water, they could grab it and pull them close to them and protect them. They had a rod. And shepherds in the first century were really good with this rod. They could chuck it. And they could, I mean, they would have contests. So the rod was used to protect. Remember David? He killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. How did he do it? With his rod. He clubbed him on the head and killed him with his bare hands. But that's what a shepherd should do, protect the flock. And the picture over and over in Scripture is of God's people being a flock. And God gives people to shepherd, that is to watch over, to feed with the word, to protect um, so there it is. Uh, this word shepherd, this is where we get our word pastor. Pastor means shepherd. The word pastor is only found in the noun form, is only found one time in Scripture. In uh, Ephesians 4, where it talks about the gifts, the leader gifts in the church, he says some as apostles, some as prophets, some as pastor, teacher, and some as evangelists. That's the only time the word pastor appears in the noun form. Everywhere else it forms as shepherd, and it's a command, a verb form, to do this. Go shepherd, and it's to elders. Elders shepherd. So can you have an elder who's not shepherding? You better not, because <laughs> that's their main role. That's their main role. There's a tendency in the church to get elders who are good businessmen. You know what I mean? They're, they're good leaders in the world, and they brought in, but they're not always good shepherds. And I'll tell you, here at Common Ground, when we're looking to add elders, we're looking for people who already are looking at others and taking ownership to, to shepherd, to help, to love, to lead them spiritually. That's who you want. That's what a shepherd does. Can you have a pastor who is not an elder? I said you can't have an elder who's not a shepherd, so an elder really does pastoring jobs, but can you have a pastor who's not an elder? I would tell you that the one who, doing the feeding, what I'm doing right now, this is feeding, they should be an elder. That's what you see in Scripture. When it talks in Scripture about feeding, it's an elder or a teaching elder. Paul writes about, you know, elders, they will have a reward. You know, they should be worthy of honor, especially those who focus on preaching and teaching. So those doing most of the feeding, really, it's an elder. It's somebody with the responsibility to shepherd. Otherwise, things can get confusing and out of line. So this is what Scripture teaches. Now, what else? What else? Look at verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Two, exercising oversight. That's the second thing that a, uh, an elder is to do, exercise oversight, an overseer. This is where the word bishop comes from. You ever wonder, you know, what, why are there, you know, the pope, bishop, you know, this, this order priest, because of this word overseer, bishop. But the, the word bishop, the word overseer is used interchangeably with elder throughout the New Testament. It's the same office as elder. So an overseer, exercise oversight. Uh, this is, it's a, a word that means to closely watch with great care. Oversight, watching carefully with great care. Uh, this would be like the football coach. You picture that. The, the football coach is on the sideline watching over the team and calling in the plays, knowing people's strengths, but they're watching over. Okay, you know, we're vulnerable. Uh, Von Miller keeps killing our quarterback. We're vulnerable. We need to put somebody, we need to double-team him. Watching over. So oversight, that's what an elder does. Um, now here's where it, here's where it comes to, to leadership. Oversight. This is directional as well. 
Elders are called to oversee, to look, to shepherd, and to lead. You know, directionally, where should we go as a body, going this way or that? They have responsibility for directional leadership, which is why one of the primary responsibilities for an elder is prayer. Because they better be in tune with God if they're going to be leading his flock, because he's still the head. So if you have an elder who's not listening to God, they're not doing their job. <laughs> and you shouldn't submit to that person. You really shouldn't. You don't want to follow those. You want to follow those who are connecting to God. How does an elder carry out his responsibilities? Look back at 1 Peter 5. So they shepherd, they exercise oversight. And now as we see, there's a comparison. He says, not like this, but like this. And so Paul writes, or Peter writes this in uh, verse 2. He says, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly. Willingly, that means cheerfully, joyfully. You don't twist this person's arm. Hey, you really should help lead. No, it's not under compulsion. It's not, hey, you know a lot about the Bible and your success. You should do this. It should be somebody that wants to do it. They want to lead. It, it's a joy to do it. Look at the second one. Um, not for, sorry, uh, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So shameful gain, you don't want leaders doing it for their own purposes. This could be financial. You know, how many churches are brought down because of financial impropriety among the pastor or, or elders? So this person needs to, you know, they're not a lover of money, it says. They're not doing this for shameful gain. It's not so, you know, a lot of people, and this is an issue with, with pastors, I'll admit. They want to be seen. They want to be in front. I want you to look at me and listen to me and do what I, you know, feels good to have this influence there's danger there. That's what he's saying here. Not for shameful gain. It should be, never be about the elder. It's about everybody else. So not for shameful gain, but eagerly, eagerly. That word eagerly means um, pre-inclined or before passion. So they do it eagerly. They're passionate. Before they're ever appointed as an elder, they're passionate about the church. They're passionate about the mission of the gospel. They're passionate about what God is doing. And so they're eager. They're excited to help lead it in that direction for the kingdom. What's our mission statement? Expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. The person that becomes an elder better be excited about that. And so they lay their lives down for that. It's not about them, period. Look at the next one. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. There's the two flip-flop there, not domineering or lording it over. How has the church done with this one in the past? <laughs> Often not great, not great. How many people have been burned by church leadership, by domineering? I'm the one in charge, do what I say. You know, we, we need to go this way. You know, the, the, the Catholic church early on, you know, in the Middle Ages, there was some horrible stuff that went on where they were domineering, they were lording it over. Uh, that is the opposite of what we should be. Look with me at Mark 10. I'm going to read these verses real quick. Mark 10, if you want to turn there, it's page 584. And Jesus, talking to his disciples about leadership, in Mark 10, 24, says this. Jesus called them to him and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
He's talking about leadership in the church there. What did Jesus do right before the Lord's Supper, right before that last Passover, when he brought the, the apostles, the disciples, into that upper room? Do you remember what he did first? He washed their feet. Do you know in that culture, a Jew, period, was, would not wash somebody else's feet? That was a slave's job. The lowest of low Jew wouldn't do that job. So the question is, why haven't the disciples done that before? In their culture, they thought, we don't do that. Slaves do that. And now Jesus, God incarnate, comes in, puts a towel around his waist, and washes their feet. And their feet weren't as nice and clean as ours. <laughs> they wore sandals, walked around in the dirt. That is a leader. A leader is a servant. When it comes time right now, Common Ground has two elders, me and Alex. Alex and I. We are accountable to our planting church in Las Vegas. Ben Barfield is the, the lead pastor there um, and, and elder there. We are responsible to them. We are also responsible to the Nevada Baptist Convention, who is supporting me. So we have accountability above us. We've also invited others, Bob Burroughs, if you know him, um, and others we've invited to, to counsel. So we are under authority as well. But we have two elders. But I'll tell you this. At least a year from now, before we start adding more, we want to add more elders, but I'll tell you what we're going to look for. We're going to look for people able to teach, meaning they know the word, they can defend it, and we're looking for servants. An elder should be a servant, someone willing to scrub the toilet, someone willing to get on their knees and, and clean. What, that is a leader. That's a leader. When we're going to be adding small group leaders, that's what we're looking for, somebody who cares about others and will put themselves the lowest of the low to serve them. Church leadership is bottom up, not top down. It's not lording it over. Hey, I'm the boss. Do this. It's how can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? That's what you want. And don't you want to follow people like that? Wives, you're called to submit to your husbands. When your husband lays himself down, dies for you day to day, isn't it easy to submit to that? It is. Husbands, when you don't live that way, it's hard to submit to you. <laughs> you know, there's, there's kind of that comparison. So, Leadership in the church, not domineering, but the opposite, being an example. Being an example. Again, example is the opposite of domineering. They go before. This is also the picture of a shepherd. The shepherd would go before the sheep. The sheep would follow. This is not a, a, a good leader, a good shepherd, a good pastor is not going to go, hey, do this. I don't do it, but you should. <laughs> it's, it's like parents, hey, do what I say, not as I do. That's horrible parenting. Don't ever say that. <laughs> Your, your leader should be an example. They should go before. As a, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, I like to be far ahead so that as I can read it, I can go, am I living this? And if I'm not, I better get on it. I better practice what I preach. I can't tell you to do what I'm not doing. When I, we taught on giving. We taught on giving. I better be a generous and sacrificial giver. If I'm not, how could I ask you to? As I say, hey, you need to be sharing your faith. I better be sharing my faith. How can I ask you to do what I'm not willing to do? They go before. They're an example to follow. Paul often wrote this, or maybe not often, but a couple times. But Paul said this. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what a leader should be able to do. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the people that we will look like to put in leadership, elder or any other level, of somebody that others can model their life after and follow. That's what we want to do is be an example the best coaches are great players. Here's a good example of that. When I was in college, we played flag football. Back to football. Flag football, intramural. Not as exciting as, you know, tackle. But we had a guy on our team who, uh, well, in four years, we lost, I think, three games. 
we were really, really good. We were great. We would you know, go to the all-star games and we would win most of those. And we weren't the best players, really. We had some, some lanky <laughs> on our team. But what we had, we had somebody who had played eight-man football in high school and he knew how to lead it. He knew how to play. And we willingly submitted to his leadership out there. And so he called plays and he organized and we followed him. But he also, out on the field, he was one of our best players. So he was a great player and a great coach. The, the best coaches are ones that have done it. They've, they've played. Gary Kubiak, he was John Elway's backup. Just saying. But the leader should be an example. Don't shake your head at me. <laughs> you want leaders who are examples. Otherwise, there's no integrity there. Now, here's what we're going to be doing at, at Common Ground. Um, well, let me just finish this. It says, uh, not domineering, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, so Peter makes it clear, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Anybody else is simply an under-shepherd. But when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The point I want to see there is that he's the chief shepherd. We are under-shepherds. So here's what we're going to be doing here at Common Ground. Elder-led. We're not going to have membership. I'm not against membership. But we're not going to have membership. And I'll tell you partly why. Because we want to reach those unsaved. We want to reach those that don't go to church. And when they come in and we talk about members, they're like, oh, I'm not part of the in-group. <laughs> so, so we're not, again, I'm not against membership, but we're not going to do it that way. Instead, we're going we're gonna to use the phrase all in. Are you all in? And if you're all in, you got to say in what goes on. The way we're going to primarily do this is through our small groups. If you're in a small group, you have a voice. This is how our leadership is going to work. Elders serve the body. Elders serve small group leaders. Small group leaders serve those in their group. It's bottom up. And if you're in a group, you're responsible to serve each other and eventually, hopefully, lead a group yourself. But if you're in a group, you have a voice. You have a voice. And it comes back to the leadership. That's the way we're going to do it. Because those who are, are not really all in, to be honest, shouldn't really have a voice. Those who just pop in, that's why churches do membership. So they know those who are committed if that makes sense. The way we're going to gauge that is who are in groups. And again, we're launching groups in March. So if you want a voice, join a group and you'll have a voice. We, we will listen. But this is something we do together. Now, we're talking about leadership. Should you submit to leadership that teaches unbiblical doctrine? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You have responsibility for what you listen to. If I ever teach anything or anybody else from up here says something unbiblical, you have the responsibility to confront me, to confront them. Bring your Bible and confront it. You know, this, this picture of elder leadership, not domineering. Um, I think I, I missed a really good quote by, by Wiest, how you say his name, but he says this about that kind of leadership. He says, this does not do away with God-ordained, properly exercised authority, which should be administered by the local church, by the pastors and elders. Meaning this, although it's servant leadership, not domineering. If somebody comes into this body and starts teaching universalism and leading others astray, guess what? We're going to deal with it. <laughs> the elders are going to deal with that. We are not going to just go, oh, I hope it goes away and let this person lead people astray and go into the flock. Universalism is not biblical. If somebody comes in this body and becomes slanderous, starts talking about other people in the body and causing division, as leaders, we will exercise authority and we will go to that person and hopefully help reconcile the situation. But if it continues, that person will be asked to not, not participate. Please don't come back. That is good leadership coming in, protecting the flock. That's what we're going to do. But again, you have responsibility.
for your leaders <laughs> what you listen to. Application. You're all part of the body. If you, by faith, have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you're part of the body, you fit in somewhere. Last week, that was our application. It is again this week. Where do you fit? What are your gifts? If you haven't taken that gifts test, take it. If you, and there's a list on the back of the different gifts. If you are not involved somewhere and you're not sure, ask those around you, what do you think my gifts are? And get involved. There's the sign-up sheet still on the back. Um, and things are, really, things are going well. We're starting to get some sign-ups for, for kids. Kids is going, our kids is going better. You know, kids are going better. You know, we have more people adding with music here. Uh, people, we're going to be starting a media ministry and others are signing up. So figure out where you fit. Sign up on that, but, but get involved. Get involved. And this should be a joy. Really, it should be a, a joy for all of us. Um, let me pray. Uh, we'll have a few minutes of questions if you have a, a pressing question, and then we're going to close in one more song. Lord Jesus Christ, um, I thank you for the truths in Scripture. Some of them are more exciting than others, and, and I'll be honest, this isn't one of the exciting ones, but it's important.